Hey, welcome to Biblical Insights. My name is Pat Fisk. I am your host. Uh, today, I'm actually going to be interviewing a close friend of mine, Christopher Witcher. Is how you pronounce your last name? Yep. And what we're going to be doing today is a little bit different from what I normally do. Uh, normally, I talk about like this crazy cancel culture that's going on in our country right now. And you can't say anything, you can't do anything without you being canceled. If it doesn't fit the narrative, guess what? You're canceled. But I'm not going to stand for that. And the whole idea is, is truth matters. Truth matters in our lives, and truth matters when it comes to the gospel. And without truth, you don't have the gospel. Because when Jesus, uh, when Pilate and Jesus had that confrontation, when Pilate asked what is truth, he was literally looking truth right in the face. And then he walked away. So in our culture today, uh, many people, really good scholars, uh, like our pastor, and he's he spent his his entire life defending the faith, and he's got a couple of his books, uh, the Fernandez Guide to Apologetics. He goes through seventeen different, I think it's seventeen different ways to defend the faith. Uh, some of his other books are hijacking the historical Jesus, contend earnestly for the faith. These are great resources when it comes to uh, defending the faith. But there's one aspect that I want to look at is testimonial apologetics. And that is when basically it's your testimony that some people might be able to relate to and understand, wow, I, can, I, I went through that exact same thing. But their outcome or their decision-making might have been different based on whatever scenario or situation they were placed in. Uh, my brother passed away, died in 96. He was a believer. He, he accepted Christ when he was eight years old. Uh, and throughout my entire life, he was a believer. And what was I? I was a pot smoking, kept all the people in Humboldt County, California, really busy. And I drank like a fish. Uh, so my life was uh, literally on the road to hell. And it was through different things in my life. When he died, I could have went the other way. I could have easily hated God and turned my back. And, and my dad did. And it wasn't until while well, my dad was really sick and on his deathbed that he accepted Christ. So I think testimonial apologetics, I think we uh, underrate what testimony, like how our, our personal testimony, how we came to Christ. I think we, we don't put enough credence in that and trying to witness to other people based on our testimony and how we came to Christ. So, kind of in a nutshell, just in the beginning, uh, were you a believer? No. <laughs> no. No foundation of any type of faith whatsoever. Not on my mom's side. Mom and dad are divorced. Okay. Not on my mom's side, not on my dad's side. Um, I think there was a couple of times where my mom sent us on the Sunday school bus just to get her get, get us out of her hair for a little while but nice. there was no uh, no true belief just uh, you know, just get out of our hair for a little while Sunday school bus okay so kind of like with the same thing how I was raised uh, I didn't have there was no religion in my house Basically, with both my parents, uh, both of my parents were they were born in 1931 and 1932. So, when they they grew up through the depression, and 
uh, both parents, my grandparents, I've never met my grandparents. They all, they, on both sides of my family, my mom and dad's side, both of them, they all passed away before I was born. So I'm the only one in my family out of four boys that's never met any of my grandparents. Because between my brother that's just older than me, Jerry, and me, that's when the last of my grandparents passed away. So I've never met any of them. But they, they were believers. And, but they forced it on, uh, from what the stories I've heard, they forced it on my parents. And my parents said, no, I'm not. Uh, so it wasn't until later. And I went, I did some crazy things. And we'll talk about it later. Did some crazy things uh, throughout my life to feel that acceptance. Because we all have that, that God-shaped hole, the vacuum that in our, in our lives. Romans 1 tells us that we have that innate uh, knowing the right from wrong that is in us but we choose to suppress it. Uh, so growing up, obviously you didn't have any kind of religion through, uh, through any of your school, high school, uh, any friends that, uh, that were believers at? No, nothing. I did have a, a strange experience once where <clears throat> we, my mom and I did visit a church and, um, Mom was crying, and the, the, a gal there was crying, and I started crying, and I was like, what is going on with all of this? It was just really awkward and weird, and so it's like, I definitely, I'm not going back. I'm not going. Okay. I'm not going back there. It's too weird. I no. know what, couldn't explain what was going on. I don't, I don't know. So did you have more of a, like a tangible kind of thing? If I can't touch it, feel, or feel whatever that meant, like a, a uh, what is the word I'm looking for, like a materialistic kind of a worldview? Yeah, well, yeah, unless there was some kind of evidence. Okay. Like, I didn't think anybody, I, you know, the testimony that, testimonies that I did hear, I wasn't ready to accept them. Okay. Um, uh, and so I needed, I needed evidence. I wanted to be able, you needed to be able to prove it. And, um, without proof I wouldn't accept um, just like I wouldn't even accept you know a personal testimony like, uh, that's might be evidence but it's not proof and I wanted proof so would you say you're an atheist or would you say that you were like agnostic um, I would I would say probably so the, the atheists are the ones who um, don't believe there's a God. Yeah. What's the difference? So an atheist is someone who says there is no God. Right. Okay. And you can refute that. That's a self-refuting statement. But you, they, they say that there is no God. An agnostic is saying that you can't know if there's a God or not. Mm. But then you got different kinds. You've got atheist. a. I was an atheist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just. Yeah, I was more of a agnostic growing up. I mean. I knew that, okay, looking out at the stars and stuff like that, most of the time I was probably high, but knowing that there's something, we, we can't be the only thing in uh, here in the universe. I mean, that was just like, there can't be. There has to be more. And so I knew, I always had that in the back of my head, but I didn't have religion. I didn't think it was God uh, at all. So I knew there was something, but I, didn't, I never wanted to put that label that it was God. But there was something out there 
we had to have had some kind of crazy beginning, but I couldn't figure out. And then it kind of morphed into uh, there's a being of some sort, but then you have the Native Americans and you have the Hindus, you got the Buddhists, uh, all these different religions. They're all looking at the same God, but just with a different view, more of a, a universalist uh, kind of, which is absolutely, well, that's really very, very unbiblical. Uh, but I knew, so I was more of a, uh, like an agnostic, but not like a, uh, you can't know. It's just like, I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's something, if there is something out there, I don't know what it is, but I was never like a hard atheist. No, I, yeah, no, completely atheist, I think for me. No, I never had a feeling that maybe the earth was created by an intelligent being, nothing, nothing like that at all. Okay. That didn't come until much later. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the same with me. It's like, um, throughout a lot, I mean, I was drugging and drinking. Oh, man. Started when I was like, holy. I remember when I was in sixth grade. Fifth, sixth grade, when I started smoking cigarettes. And then I remember the first time that I did drugs, and I was 13, 12, 13, I just turned 13. I remember that exact moment. That's sad. I, I can, I know exactly, I'm envisioning this in my head. I knew exactly the moment that I did. The very first time I smoked pot, I did drugs, and that absolutely changed my life from that moment on. Uh, I know the person I got it from, and I, I just want, I want to cry sometimes. I mean, the, my life, the way it was, changed that moment. Uh, but I think there. I mean, I went through a lot of times where I could have easily been being killed based on my stupid decisions that I made. But so you go through, so... Uh, so you went through high school. You weren't in the military, right? Or were you in the military? Okay. So you went through high school, uh, no religion whatsoever. And then uh, you mentioned that your parents were divorced. Uh, and I can only imagine, I, I had the same parents. Uh, my oldest brother, we have different dads uh, because he came from my mom. Both my parents were divorced prior to, uh, to us. My dad didn't have any other kids uh, except for us four, four boys, with my mom. Uh, but my mom had a had a son, Keith. He's my oldest brother. Prior to uh, my mom and dad getting together, uh, but yeah, no, same thing. I mean, I went through high school, uh, the army. I mean, if thinking trying to get away from Bremerton and think I was going to get away from drugs, it was so bad in the military. I mean, it was rampant. I mean, they had developed systems. When I say they, I mean soldiers and people that I was with uh, on how to get away with smoking pot and having and, and not fixing but uh, not getting popped on the, the UAs. Cleaning out your system. Oh yeah. Okay. The golden seal. I mean there was crazy things that these people were coming up with to manipulate the system and stuff. You know, there was people getting sent stuff. I was in North Carolina, Fort Bragg, North Carolina and drugs were getting sent out like crazy. Uh, we went to church. I mean, we, the 
my squad leader on Sundays. I mean, he went to church on Sundays and on, on base, went to chapel. I went, but it wasn't, never clicked. Never clicked whatsoever. Yeah, with uh, like with me in high school, I, um, I had a, I had pretty bad acne. Okay. Um, I'm not talking about just on my face, but it was like on my chest and my back, shoulders, and I was just uh, uh you were talking about that empty feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I was empty on the inside. I didn't like how I looked. Um, didn't like how I felt. Um, and so. Uh, yeah, naturally, I'm going to try to do something to fix that. And that's, you know, like I was looking for something different. And I thought I found it when I found drugs. Yeah. Um, which, would, and drugs started out in alcohol to be kind of like the, 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 the fix of my problem ended up being a huge problem as the years go yeah. went by. But, um, and like you were talking at the beginning about truth, like I would lie even if the truth was pretty good, just to try to make myself look better or just to try to brag and um, just because I didn't, basically didn't like Christopher. Wow. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and it started out just, you know, marijuana, you know, alcohol first. And we would, um, my mom gave me too much freedom. Um, that was her way of saying, I love you, but kids need structure. And I think to get structure, yeah. you're just like, pretty much, you know, could go do whatever you want. And there was, we would, you know, hang outside stores and ask people to buy a beer. And wow. Steal marijuana from people's parents. And uh, and, then, uh, and it was, it was fun at first. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, if, uh, oh, I don't. I'm not going to lie and say that it was like, uh, like it was horrible at the beginning because it wasn't it was fun for you know a long time probably many years yes 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 but like if you know anything about uh, addiction and you know alcohol abuse or or drug abuse it's when you first start out you only need a little bit yeah and then you build up a tolerance and you need more and more to get the same high and so you just spend uh, the rest of your time you know finding trying to find some yeah um and then using it and then finding ways and means to get more. Yeah. So oh, it's yeah, just exactly. Yeah. No, I, I, I have a very similar, yeah, similar story. I might start out smoking pot. I mean, that was, uh, smoking pot. I would do everything. My mom would give me, I had this allowance every Friday night. I'd go hang out with my friends and it was like $10. I'd get $10 every Friday, I'd get $10. Uh, you could and, probably get a gram with that. Lunch, exactly. <laughs> and see, I grew up in this area. Uh, from the, We moved into, uh, over by the fairgrounds. Uh, Parkwood East was an area. Oh, I'm familiar with Parkwood East. Okay. Well, we were the 10th house back in 1970, I think it was 1971. And they had to model home for like a neighborhood. There's only 10 homes in Parkwood East. And my dad said, I want this one, the model home. And that's what we had. So, 1968 is when we moved up to uh, Bremerton. My dad retired in the Navy uh, in 1968. And then, 70, 71, I think it is, bought the house in Parkwood East. I was in that same house all through high school. And, and that was, 
I grew up in that, and that was a thing. Is so I knew. I mean, I knew everyone in that neighborhood, and yeah, you just that was a thing. Friday night, we go out and start smoking pot, and that was that was it. That was our thing. And then, like you were saying, this was, was in like the seventies, yeah, or late seventies, early mid late. Uh, let's see. I started listening to Kiss in nineteen seventy four. That ruined my life. Uh, anyways. <laughs> uh, no, I was uh, born in 66, so it was like late 70s, 78, 79-ish, right around 78, 79 is when I, I started doing drugs. And so, yeah, it wasn't like it was in the 60s, but it was in the, the late 70s is when I started that downhill spiral. And like, like I said, if you weren't using, uh, you were jonesing, and then you're out trying to fix the, the Jones. So yeah, it was just, it was that, that crazy cycle. Yeah. Uh, all the same. I mean, you can you can look back. You're looking at, and this is just amazing. If you can sit back for a second, and look back in time. We were looking for God. There was definitely an emptiness that I was not aware of back then. Exactly. Right. Exactly. We didn't know that it was God, but we were looking for something to fill that void. We just couldn't put a label. We didn't know that name on what that void was. And you can go to probably, I would say, any of the drug addicts, alcoholics, and stuff like that, they're trying to fill that void, which is God, Christ, in our lives. But they're filling it with this, or they're filling it with that. And the more they're trying to fill it, it's like you're putting water through a sieve, and it was just going through. So the more and more and more and more you're having to put it, but once you once we find who Christ is, and we we actually fill that void with Him, He seals that, and there's no longer like those little. It's like when you put flour and you have to sift it and all that. It that's the drugs and alcohol. It just goes right through it, and that's why you gotta keep filling it up. Yeah. But yeah, we've argued many times uh, with family members that they think it's okay to smoke pot, but you can't be. I mean, that's a gateway drug. I mean, what do you think about uh, uh, pharmaceuticals? Pharmakia, uh, that's sorcery in, in the Old Testament, in the Bible. That's pharmakia, that, that, that's witchcraft, that's sorcery. We're, we're supposed to be of right mind. Uh, I, I adamantly oppose uh, smoking pot. It's a gateway drug. I don't care. I, I will argue, because you, you mentioned it earlier, Chris, that uh, once you smoke a little bit or drink a little bit, your body naturally will build up a tolerance. And the more and more and more. And pretty soon, smoking pot's not good enough for me. That's one thing I, I'm terrified. Like, okay, so you know Indiana Jones? Terrified of snakes, right? Well, so am I. I'm terrified. I hate snakes. Uh, but I'm just as terrified of needles. Can't stand needles. Uh, so luckily, because of that, I've never been someone to shoot up drugs. Ever. Because I'm absolutely terrified. Of it. When my brother passed away of leukemia, I was a bone marrow donor excuse me, donor. So every week we would go over to Seattle at the Fred Hutchison's uh, Cancer Research Center. And once I realized that I'm a perfect match uh, for the bone marrow, I'm like a pin cushion every single week. And I'm like, just do it, just do it, just do it. I, I hated it. Uh, so luckily, a lot, I have a lot of friends that were into intravenous drug use. And luckily that is something that I thank him above and I'm terrified of needles. Never 
The only person that's ever put a needle on my, my body is either a nurse or uh, a doctor. That's it. No other needle has ever touched my body. And I'm grateful for that. Because uh, I've seen too many of my friends that went downhill because of it. So, all right, so you went through high school. Obviously, you're doing drugs. And Well, I, okay. I should have went through high school. Okay. <laughs> but I ended up uh, going to alternative school for a little bit. Okay. It's right over... Right over here, where the school administration building is on Oh yeah, Marion Avenue. Avenue. Yeah. It was the alternative school, and they had a school. There was no school on Fridays. You got to come later, leave okay. earlier. Um, but we would uh, we would take off and go smoke up in the woods up at Nad Park. Oh yeah, or, no, no, not Nad Park, Forest Ridge, Forest Ridge Park up there. Yeah, go up that. Yeah, I know exactly mm -hmm. what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I was already committing, you know, small time. Crimes. Crimes. Yeah. Um, okay. Car prowling, you know, petty theft, um, stuff like that. So, um, should have graduated high school, but did not. Okay. Um, I was just always running the streets. Um, this was, this was uh, late eighties, early nineties, and things were different. Um, for me, I was heavily influenced by uh, rap music and okay. gangs. Um, I idolized um, those guys on the streets. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I was spent a lot of time as little wannabe. Little gangbangers? Little wannabe gang member <laughs> for many, many years. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I ended up dropping out of high school, um, made it through the ninth grade, uh, but that was it. Um, I ended up uh, at, at 16, um, got, a, got a girl pregnant. Um, and had a kid at 17, um, in and out of jail, well, prison, well, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say, shouldn't say prison, uh, in and out, in and out of juvie. At a okay. And, and I was never afraid of needles, but it wasn't cool to do those harder drugs. Like, like we made fun of crackheads a lot. Oh yeah. Um, like, oh, you don't be a crackhead and like, we don't. You know, we're not going to use meth. We drink, and we, you know, we drink forty ounces okay. and tall cans, and we smoke blunts, and, and okay. it, it was it was it was cool um, until like later on, we started hanging. Out, the group of my friends were hanging out with uh, a different group of friends who were using methamphetamine, um, and I had you know dabbled around in some like mushrooms and yeah. some some acid, some hash, but never go any harder than that until uh, I was at 18 and I tried methamphetamine and uh, like I told you about the emptiness yeah um, I did not think about the emptiness after that it was uh, like I felt like I was like this is who I and I was on the being sped up methamphetamine is you know uh, wow. it's a stimulant and so that's what I was missing like I needed to be sped up Wow. And, um, once I sped up, it was just like, um, it was, it was, uh, I could talk to girls easier, which was what one of the things that alcohol did too. But, oh, yeah. but you add in the methamphetamine and then it's just all of a sudden I'm, you know, like, I think I'm down one. Here's Fabio. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> no, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the one thing I never, I had friends growing up in high school that, see, I graduated in 85. And so I had some friends right after high school 
that got into it. They were jocks in high school. Uh, I was always the, the rock t-shirt, leather jacket, mm-hmm. ripped jeans. I had hair at one time. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to believe, but I did. And But they were the jocks. But then it was kind of funny. Right after we got out of high school, these guys got into uh, meth and selling it big time. And got these houses out in Seabet. I mean, big, huge mansions. It was all, it was all drug money. And uh, some of them are dead now because of it, because of the drugs. Whether uh, whether his dope deal's gone bad, or I've got some friends uh, that, well, I shouldn't say they're friends, but I know who they are. I mean, uh, associates of however you want to say acquaintances. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, but they're in prison. I mean, because of drugs, not all. Uh, some are dead, and yeah, it's just that hard drug. Once you get into that lifestyle, it's just, it's hard to get out. It's just got such a pull to it. I mean, we were doing stuff, uh, like the crank, I guess you could mm-hmm. call it at yep. the time. It's just bathtub speed, and what we were calling it, new people that made it. It was just absolutely nuts that the things that, that we would do just for the drug. Mm-hmm. And still, during this whole time, there was no religion. Uh, whatsoever in my life, nothing. I feel the whole time my brother that uh, passed away, Mark, he uh, he did car stereos. He made like the he worked downtown or down in uh, it wasn't Birmingham, but then it was moved to Silverdown. That's about Haifa. I know it was a it was all about car stereos, and you had these sound off. You had these massive stereo systems in the cars, big huge amplifiers and subwoofers and all that bass that's what my brother did i mean he was the master installer so people would come out the base or come off the ship and they had all this money they didn't know what to do with guess what they put it in their cars Mm. and that's what my brother did so while he's doing that i'm sitting there doing drugs working and he was i didn't realize it at the time but he was witnessing to me this whole time and i didn't realize it uh so fast forward, so you're doing the drugs, you're 18 years old, you're in that lifestyle, that drugs. Uh, how long did that last? Um, well, uh, I took my last, the last time I used methamphetamine, I was 27. Um, wow, so it lasted quite a few years. Yeah, so it was about right before my 28th birthday, so it was okay. about, about 10 years of... Uh, Running and gunning and okay. um, homelessness and uh, you know in and out of jail. Uh, you were talking about your brother was the master installer of car stereos. I considered myself the master uninstaller of stereos, <laughs> where okay. I where I would where all those navy guys or whoever would go and you know blow all that money to you know to soup their car up yeah. to have all the you know, all that stereo equipment, um, and then not put an alarm on it. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and so that was, uh, at one time that was kind of like my, my only hustle where I was just uninstalling car stereos and then selling it or trading it, um, for drugs. Yeah. So that's crazy. Yeah. So you're a master uninstaller. <laughs> that's hilarious. I've never heard it called that way. That's pretty funny. I like that. Uh, so you did that. So did that till you said you're about 28 years old? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. 
So I, um, so drugs took over that whole lifestyle. I got into, uh, I, I found out that if I bought drugs in a larger quantity, it's cheaper. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'd have more to do, but then I'd have to sell a little bit too in order to make my money back or to even make a profit. Um, and so, and that's what I wanted to do when I was a, when I was a kid, um, you know, back in high school, I always looked up to drug dealers. Um, and like, remember the movie Scarface? Oh yeah. Tony Montana. Oh yeah. That was my favorite movie. Um, I thought it glorified the lifestyle. You know, he dies at the end, but I didn't pay attention to that. I was just like, uh, I just looked at the cars and the money and the the, enticing, the power. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that void left, made it really difficult to connect with anybody positive. Um, but on the, on the streets, we all had the void and we were all just trying to connect with each other. And since I didn't have the structure of a family, I looked for it in the streets and I, and we kind of found it. Like that I had so a, common. Yeah. We had it. We found a, we found a, you know, there was kind of like a hierarchy in on okay. the streets where there's, you know, the, the, the OGs and the, the guys that have been around longer and they've been getting away with stuff for, they've done time in prison. And those are the mm-hmm. kinds of guys that you look up to and try to kind of learn from. And, um, and so, uh, and so, and so, yeah, but so having more drugs meant more problems mm-hmm. and a, a bigger drug problem. And um, it just became an everyday, you know, thing. And, um, and I, I did do, uh, I, I did have to go to prison for a year, um, but I got the minimum amount of prison time that you can get. So if you get state, if you get the the minimum amount to do state time in Washington is a year and a day. Yeah. Um, and I was actually in jail and I was miserable and I took it to trial and I lost and they were going to sentence me to a year in the county jail and I actually begged the judge for the extra day so I could get out of county Kitsap County and go to state prison. Um, wow. And get away because, you know, my, um, you know, my girlfriend, uh, you know, she's letting somebody else drive my car and she's not being oh. faithful and, and you can't really <clears throat> talk about that kind of stuff in prison. I mean, you could, but you're just going to be looked at as weak when you're, you know, when you're locked up. So, yeah. um, all that stuff gets stuffed down and, um, and I found exercise Okay, um, was pretty much the only way, like I was, uh, I would pace when I wasn't working out and I would do, you know, thousand push-up Fridays and, um, you know, do, you know, hundreds of crunches and it was, you know, a lot of body weight stuff like pull-ups and, um, and that's how I coped with not having drugs yeah. and missing my, <laughs> I ended up having another little girl and love being a dad and mister um so there were some parts of me where i was like trying to do good because okay. i didn't have a dad so i wanted to be a good dad and so when i was in jail i was just like okay when i get out i'm just gonna get up i'm just gonna get, get a muscle car and i'm gonna be a good dad and i'm gonna be a, I'm gonna have a you know just gonna focus on good stuff um and then i got out <clears throat> went straight to the casino mm. Had a couple drinks. I, there was a guy in there that I knew that I used to run the streets with before, and he was holding. 
and it was off and running from the day I got up. You didn't even blink. I just didn't even miss a step. Nope. Nope. Wow. I think that's that's pretty common because I moved to Utah. Uh, you, know, but you you quit doing drugs like right around or the meth thing was like right around twenty eight. Uh, I was twenty nine when I met my wife, uh, and I was still a drug and I couldn't be a drug dealer. I, I couldn't, even though I, I agree with you. You buy mass quantities, and that's going to be easier to. Uh, uh, it was a lot cheaper. But see, I was a horrible drug dealer. I, I, I did all my profit. I, I couldn't do it. Don't get high off your own supply. I yeah, violated that rule too. Yeah, I was just, I was done. So I, I'd be a horrible drug dealer. And so I wouldn't make it on the streets. Uh, I had a small clique of people that that I hung out with. I, I had two separate cliques. I had like my neighborhood clique that I hung out with. And then I had some people that I knew in school, a different kind of a group of people that I hung out with. And that's the group, like my home, like my homeboys in my neighborhood that I hung out with. Uh, it was just smoking pot and drinking. That's all it was. Smoking pot and drinking. Didn't get into crimes. That was when I was, I, that's the craziest thing. I had respect because one of the guys I grew up with, uh, he, his dad was a deputy sheriff. And, and I had the utmost respect for him because uh, I always had uh, respect for law enforcement. When I was in sixth grade, I interviewed, since you grew up in this neighborhood here, you probably remember the sheriff, Pat Jones. Oh, okay. Well, Pat Jones, when I was in like sixth grade, something like that, he was the sheriff. Not Debbie. He was the sheriff. And I actually interviewed him for a class project. I'm like, I interviewed the sheriff. Yeah. At the time, I thought it was really cool. I was like, wow. Whatever. But, uh, so I've always had that respect for law enforcement. Even though I booked law, which I had that respect. Uh, but yeah, when I was 20, I think it was 29, uh, is when I met Quill. And still, still drinking, still doing drugs. And yeah, I mean, the time that I did in prison, or I, yeah, prison in jail, I, I did like three or four like weekends in jail. And it was always the three day or four day weekends. It was like Labor Day, Memorial Day. I was like, why do I have to be stupid during this? I never spent. Because that was the one thing I didn't do. I didn't get into, uh, even though all my friends did, they got into like the petty theft, breaking into cars, breaking into homes, and stuff like that. Uh, it's just something I never did. Uh, because of the home, the, 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 my neighborhood guys that I hung out with, they didn't do that. We were more of, let's just go get trash, kind of a thing. And one of my buddies, uh, or actually two of them, their parents actually supplied them with alcohol. Like bottom those that white cans that just said beer on it. Oh, the generic, generic beer. Yeah. Okay. So both my friends, that's what they their parents drink. So they would buy them, and young kids at the time, uh, cases of, it. and that's what we were doing. Uh, but yeah, I never got into like the, the crime scene, even though doing drugs, and I was able to buy beer when I was seventeen. I mean, I was like blue, hairy, blah blah blah. Beers. I was always when I was 17 years old. I was buying beer down in places. Uh, <clears throat> got busted for that. They did, not me. Mm. But it was easy for me. Just go in there, final shirt, boom, buy beer. Uh, but yeah, again, having a, a back about this religion, I, this whole time, my brother was witnessing to me. 
none of my parents they knew something they obviously had to know something was going on with me uh i was always gone and met quill i said fast forward a little bit met quill uh still doing the drugs and the first time that i met quill came over to my house uh, i met her uh first date we had she walked in on a drug deal when uh i was literally in the middle of doing a drug deal and she should have turned around and walked away but for some reason she didn't so uh but yeah i was still even though i told her i wasn't doing drugs i still was still smoking pot all the time uh getting trashed all the time and she said that she had religion uh but we were like partying dancing going to clubs every weekend they're doing that i think what when my brother got sick and that was in 96 uh that's when my life kind of turned around when he died uh i mean before that i was going to church started going to church over in port orchard uh but that was just to get the girl that's the only reason i was going to church because i was going to get well it's just you do whatever stupid thing i say stupid but you do whatever you do just to, to get the girl and that's the only reason why i was going to church so so you're doing the drugs you're in the life you've been in and out of jail uh so what was that one that one catalyst that one do you remember that one moment that uh, you went from being atheist to wow there might be something out there it, it was a it, uh, it, it was more of a process than a one-time thing okay. um, I did uh, I started while I was still drinking and drugging um okay trying to figure out how many details to tell you here so okay. i like i said i can make a short story long um so i get out of prison i my daughter's mom is uh running around um selling drugs with our daughter mm. um i get out um this is why you're still in right right okay yeah um and I get out and I get physical custody of her because I'm a little bit more stable than she is, even though I'm still drinking and drugging. <laughs> um, at least um, I had a, a pretty decent place to stay. Okay. Um, and <clears throat> so we got our own place in public housing. Um, and I, the addiction is getting worse and worse and I'm selling more and I'm gone more and i have a a girlfriend and i was very disrespectful to her um i, I used to call her the babysitter so, so she would stay home and, and watch the kids while i would go out gambling mm. or uh, selling drugs or uh, just creating you know mayhem oh, yeah. um, in mischief um and uh I started to experience while I was high um, coincidences. Okay. <laughs> um, really, uh, really hard to explain because they're very personal. Um, and I 
and they kept on happening over and over again. And I'm like, what could be making these coincidences happen? And, and so I went through this process of elimination where I thought it was, um, you know, the, everybody was messing with me. You know, like there was this grand conspiracy of <clears throat> it, let's let Christopher's, you know, high all the time. Let's mess with him. Okay. So let's try to let's make, you know, like create these coincidences. Um, but I was also getting more paranoid from the drugs and I started to experience some uh, psychosis where like, like the TV is talking to me. And, oh, wow. Um, and getting, you were still doing meth, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Heavy, 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 heavy methamphetamine. Wow. Um, and so, uh, like, I'm falling apart mentally. I'm like, I'm not eating. I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not taking care of my daughter. I'm, um, taking advantage i'm using my girlfriend i'm calling her names i'm you know uh, you know just treating her like crap um and uh and then the coincidences start started happening and and the paranoia is getting worse and i'm accusing my girlfriend of uh fake yawning um uh, you know how yawns are kind of they're contagious like if i oh, yeah. yawn then next person yawns yep. and it could kind of go around the room well i thought she was yawning on purpose to make me yawn to make me tired um so that i would go to sleep um and you were talking about that pharmacia the, mm -hmm. uh, i always pronounce the pharmacy i'm not but but however you pronounce it um it did seem like because of the drugs and my i thought my girlfriend was a witch she was okay putting hexes on me and or i but I went through that process of elimination where I'm thinking like everybody's messing with me. They're out to get me um, to, uh, well, I don't believe in God, so it can't be God. So it was like, well, maybe it's um, like, it started to seem like it was supernatural, uh, the coincidences. Okay. Um, and um, so then I was like, well, maybe it's uh, you know, aliens or maybe people have mind control or I like went through this crazy and i was on meth so it's like oh uh, yeah yeah your um, brain's going crazy that stuff was making sense to me yeah it's like there was no other explanation um <clears throat> and i remember um sitting in my living room talking to somebody about uh, some of the bad stuff i had done and uh this is just one of the weird coincidences where the tv just turned on automatically with no remote control nobody pushed a button it just turned on automatically, and there was a preacher <laughs> on there, and he was saying, no matter what you've done, God loves you and forgives you. Wow. And I was just like, oh, that was kind of weird, but kind of laughed it off. Yeah. Um, um, uh, so there was just, like, little little stuff like that. And so then I started, um, like, turning the TV on on purpose to, like, see what was on. Um and uh, there was uh, there's a local preacher i forget his name he's a redhead a champion center maybe or something over um on the other side of the water i uh, think i know who you're talking i can picture him i can't uh, think of his name uh it'll probably come to me on your way home i know exactly who you're talking well, about so he was telling a story about coincidences okay and he was like you know how there's a coincidence and you think there's something else to it and you try to explain it to people and nobody understands um 
they just keep on happening and you know it's there's something greater behind it all but you just can't put your finger on it that's god and i was like click you know turn that off it's like i'm not ready was his last name trip uh i, I, I know casey 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 treat casey treat yeah that's yeah. who it is okay. yes yes um and so i so then i started you know like getting more curious or watching more church tv and stuff and but still using trying drugs. to make sense of of what it, was happening like okay there might be something to this that's kind of may might be able to explain this yes okay like and so the coincidences are just like so god is in control of everything right mm -hmm. so god's sovereign and he was the meth was kind of opening up the door to like an evil spiritual oh, yeah. realm. And oh yeah definitely opening that door and it was kind of scary yeah um and i started to think that demons were coming for me um and uh there's more coincidences stories but i don't want you to get too freaked out but there was one up with a with the, with an antenna um and i felt like the guy was trying to hypnotize me and i he said his antenna was broke on his phone and it would chime and it would kind of put me in this trance-like state and then next thing you know i'm saying my antenna is broke meaning you know like one antenna does you receive mm -hmm. um you know messages oh, yeah. through the and then the antenna can help you receive better but so i wasn't receiving in my mind it was like i wasn't receiving what god was trying to tell me because okay. my antenna was broke and I don't want to go too into detail okay. on that, but um, it was a very weird situation. Um, my my uh, uh, the guy I was getting my drugs from got arrested, and so I got his connect. Oh, okay. And so that meant I got even more drugs mm. um, with more paranoia. And I remember telling my girlfriend, "Okay, like uh, you know, we got to be very careful, and I need you to be supportive." and um, it seemed like she just turned it up a notch where like, and then I'm starting to accuse her of, like I said, like of being a witch or like, well, maybe she's a fallen angel. I was wow. crazy. <laughs> I was crazy. Literally insane. If, um, if, 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 uh, if a mental health professional would have been around, they would have, oh. you know, they would have called CPS. They would have taken her kids. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, and so with my girlfriend, I'm like, trying to control her more um and i got uh, you know not only was i just you know being emotionally abusive kind of spiritually abusive by accusing her of being a witch yeah. um I, I was physically abusive and i went to uh, went to i went to jail for that um i got out <clears throat> got you know the judge said you're gonna go to the court ordered that i go to domestic violence perpetrators classes um, um and so I, I went i was hesitant i didn't want to go i thought she was the problem not me um she's the one who needs counseling <clears throat> in denial big time oh yeah i didn't think it was the drugs i thought i was onto something when i was accusing her of being a witch i that's what i thought the reality was you know you're talking about that what's my truth which like i'm so glad nobody ever said Oh, yeah i think your girlfriend is a witch and you should that's your truth you know what i mean like yeah like no that's crazy and i'm glad yeah. you know nobody said oh that's your truth um 
But uh, so I went to this <clears throat> domestic violence perpetrators counseling and I met uh, the sweetest, most non-judgmental, caring Christian counselor. Her name was Sandra Bruno. Um, she had a <clears throat> she had an office in a house um, down off of Calo at the end of Calo. Okay. Uh, there used to be a Seven Eleven down there, but now it's a it's a pub place. And um, because of her character um, of just being the sweetest and easy to talk to, and she didn't care about what I had done. Yeah, she cared about how to, how I could help me help me get well. Okay. Um, and she asked me if I knew anything about God, and I said, I was like, no, but something's happening to me. All these coincidences, and I can't really explain it. And she just looked at her assistant and said, grab him a book. And the assistant handed me a book, and I, it said the covenant of God's love on it or something. Hmm. Um, it didn't say it was a New Testament Bible. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't have taken it probably. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, exactly, known. if you would have known. Um, and, uh, and I took it home, and I was, uh, there was a moment in time when I was, when I was high, when my girlfriend was gone and my daughter was being taken care of her grand by her, her mom's mom. Um, and I was alone and I was, you know, been up for a couple of days and I was feeling empty and I was aware of it. I was uh, so aware that I was considering suicide. Mm. Um, just like, you know, hopeless for the future and, you know, look at me, I'm a piece of crap, and some of that was kind of true, like I was, you know, I, I was not living well, no. um, and I, I opened up that that book, and it, it's, it, it talked about, it was evangelistic, and so um, it didn't, it wasn't just, you know, um, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, you know, the epistles, it was, um, you open it up, and it says, you know, God loves you, turn to John 3.16, then, and I, you know, and it had a little description like, "You're we're sinners. Sin separates us from God. Now turn to Roman. Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. <clears throat> you know, believe in your heart, touch with your mouth, you'll be saved." And um, you know, it's flipping me around through scriptures, kind of giving me the gospel message. Mm -hmm. And it comes to the point where it says, "Now are you ready to?" Admit you're a sinner and ask God for forgiveness and, you know, have, you know, come into your heart, be Lord of your life and, you know, trust him alone in salvation. And, um, that, you know, it even said, you know, what's the date? Yeah. And it said, who gave this book to you? And so I wrote, you know, December 11th, 2002, um, Sandra Bruno gave me this book. And, um, and so I, you know, said the prayer of salvation basically and, yeah. Um, ask God to come and change me and, and to save me. And um, I started I started to read, you know, a chapter a day. And I would, that counselor was so nice that I felt like I could be honest without having to hide my addiction. Yeah. And so I would go in and I would tell her, I, was, I did drugs. And she's like, you got to, you got, what are you going to, when are you going to do something? And um, I ended up going to treatment. Um, I, I used meth for the last time, and the, so I, I asked Jesus 
so I made the the big change by asking God for help in December of 2002. Okay. And then I used meth for the last time in February of 2003, which is just a couple months later. Yeah. And then a couple weeks after that, I took my last drink of alcohol. And so I've been clean since March 8th of 2003. Awesome. Um, yeah. And like it, uh, it was, it was, uh, the non-pushiness yeah. of that counselor who was just an example of Christ's love and acceptance um, and her giving me <laughs> the gospel uh, in the New Testament. That's cool. And, um, but then, you know, I had, you know, I had my daughter who was there who I wanted to be a good dad to. Um, I had treatment um, and god now at that point a personal relationship with god <clears throat> and i was still trying to figure out you know exactly who he was um but i started to experience um grace and favor and those coincidences continued but they were not but they were i could see how they were pointing me to him and his sovereignty okay and my mind was open enough up enough to, um, you know, accept the gospel, you know, to, to see how I was living and how I was on the road to hell. Yeah. Um, and, um, but that through, you know, Christ and through, through relationship with him and through his power that I could, uh, I could get better. Um, and, uh, so I had lots of motivations internally to do well and externally you know i didn't want to go i didn't like prison yeah i didn't want to go back love is not a nice guy um i didn't i didn't i didn't want to lose my housing i didn't want to end up back yeah. on the streets um so i had in, lots of internal and external uh, motivations yeah uh, but the number one was um was the new relationship that i had with in faith Jesus. And then with that, I mean, that should, I mean, that right there probably started looking at the relationship with your daughter a lot differently. It was like, wow. And then, because I did the same thing with my, I would bring Chloe, my daughter, uh, to West Park Lanes and she'd be in her stroller, car seat, stroller, or whatever. Uh, the, and we'd be bowling. I'd be drinking like crazy and she's in the stroller uh and just because that's a form of abuse i mean i can say it now that's that's abuse and then uh, my wife at the time she worked at the bowling alley and so she would my daughter sitting there in a car seat i'm drinking i'm bowling and then i would jump on the bus and take a bus home because we live really close to silver and chico and but yeah once once I quit doing the drugs and drinking, but that relationship changed. It took years uh, because it's not like a faucet that can just be turned off. It's like, ooh, look, no, I'm Mr. Holy, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I mean, it was, it, it was quite a process. Yeah. Uh, so throughout this whole thing, so, you're, so your girlfriend at the time, obviously it's not your wife now. So your girlfriend at the time, when you made that change, she was still full-blown into uh, method. Because that's, I mean, 
people, I was a pothead, some people were methods, some were alcoholics. So she's full blown into that still. How did that, that dynamic, because now all of a sudden, whoa, you've just given your life over to Christ. Yeah. How did that relationship go? Yeah, so she continued <clears throat> using drugs and alcohol, and um, we separated. Um, and uh, she ended up dying in a car accident. Oh, no. Um, she, yeah, she was, she was driving, and she had methamphetamine in her mm -hmm. system. Um, her passengers survived, but, but she died. And um, so I never got to make any direct amends to her. Um, but there was, you know, for years, there was a sense that I needed to because um, I needed, I wanted some closure, um, and so I was meeting with a with a, a mentor, um, and kind of telling him what was going on, and um, he, because I couldn't make direct amends, he suggested for closure that I make uh, financial um, donations to the YWCA and their alive shelter, their for domestic okay. violence victims, um, and so. After giving to them uh, financially, um, you know, over and over again, I finally started to feel closure and okay. was able to, to 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 let that go. I knew God had forgiven me for the way I treated her, um, uh, but I still needed to do. I needed to take some action yeah. um, to help kind of clean house with Christopher and kind of oh, like yeah. bring the closure that I needed. So, wow. That's tough. That's, that's hard. Uh, so you still have contact with your daughter? Yeah, she's 23 now. Um, oh. And uh, she's relatively well-adjusted. She, okay. um, she told a story uh, recently where she was out with her friends, and they were talking about how bad their childhoods were. Mm -hmm. And she actually told them that she couldn't relate because of how good her childhood was oh. uh, because she doesn't remember um, oh before. so that whole okay, so yeah so I when I got clean and sober she was about four um, oh, and she doesn't she was just a toddler so she doesn't remember mm -hmm. a lot of the uh, dangerous situations I put her in you were talking about that you know with your daughter in the, in, in the stroller while you were drinking I used to drive around, no license, no insurance, with um, a pistol in her diaper bag, God forgive me, and and I would hide the drugs underneath her car seat so that if I ever did get pulled over, I would think that the police wouldn't look under there. So I kind of used her as a shield. Yeah. Um, and, um, drugs make you do stupid things. Yeah, and those are the kind of, that's the kind of stuff that I have to live with. Yeah. Um, but uh, and that's why those who are forgiven much love much. Right? That's yeah. what the Bible says. Awesome. Yeah. And um, and I know I've been forgiven for a oh, lot wow. of horrible, horrible things. Yeah. And so, um, I love my God and the grace that He's shown me. Um, like I meet people nowadays. And I kind of tell them some of my backstory, and I try to be careful about giving too much detail. I don't want to freak, you know, so many people out. But 
if I just keep a general and I say, I used, you know, I was a methamphetamine, you know, addict and an alcoholic, and they, they just can't believe it. They, they're like, it's hard. They're like, just looking at you now, it's kind of hard to believe that you ever lived that yeah. kind of lifestyle. And, and, you know, I just shrug it off. And then, you know, when I'm at home and, and I'm in my closet praying, and I have to remember, you know, that that's God. God exactly. is the one who did that. That's it's not Christopher's not character. No, not at all. If Christopher doesn't deserve this new life, but uh, no. let's serve a good God who gives. Yeah, right. it's like I ran into a guy, I was probably a couple months ago. I've known since like junior high, probably eighth, ninth grade. Uh, and that was one of the a second group, not my neighborhood guys, but these guys lived down in Tracyville. And I used to go riding motorcycles with them all the time in high school. Uh, so I had my neighborhood guys that I'd party with uh, in the neighborhood park with these. These guys, my other group, they lived in Tracyville. And they're all into like, dirt bikes and motorcycles. So. And so was I. I loved dirt biking. I, loved, I raced motocross when I was young. So I loved it. It was just that, that thrill. I mean, I did some crazy things. Luckily, you did a lot. You did some stupid, crazy things. But uh, yeah, I ran into him, uh, Ace Hardware. And no, this is not a plug for Ace Hardware. Uh, anyways, I ran into him and I was just walking down the aisle and I was just thinking about this guy a couple, three weeks prior to this. And I wonder what happened to this guy. And I was just to myself thinking about it. I walked down the aisle and I looked and I was like, I walked down, I'm like, Kevin? And he stopped and he looked at me. I thought this guy was dead. Last thing I heard, he was a full blown alcoholic and uh, kind of like fell off the face of the earth, thinking that because of the drugs and alcohol because he got really heavy into it that he was gone <clears throat> but we started talking and he was kind of funny he only remembers me that drugging alcoholic uh stupid guy as he said that's all he knew me as and uh, i gave him one of my cards and i just said hey give me a call sometime i'd love to have a cup of coffee and just talk no pressure and he kind of like he looks at my card and Pastor Pat, and he's looking at me, and then he's looking at the car and looking at me. I go, yeah, it's hard to believe. And uh, he's like, yeah, okay. Uh, and he's still in the same lifestyle, still drinking, still doing like this. I'm hoping that maybe it might plant a seed, because we didn't talk religion whatsoever. It was just like a couple minutes. We're seeing how's it going, trying to get caught up a little bit. But I can tell that he was still in that same lifestyle. And it's, it, it's hard to look back and see, since God, God has given us that grace that and has pulled us out of that lifestyle. And then you turn around and then you see people like now in Washington, Post Legal, and you just, uh, there's just as many pot shops that are Starbucks. Every corner there's a pot shop. And they just don't realize that, that it's a, that's a slippery slope. And... As I learn, like I try to teach my kids, is learn from my mistake. Don't do the stupid stuff I did. I, I, I barely made it out of it. And I'm still, I'm suffering right now because of my decisions I made when I was a kid. Uh, my kids are suffering from, from my decisions. And could I have raised my kids in, in, in a Christ-centered home? Yeah, I should have, but I didn't. Uh, 
And it wasn't until, uh, yeah, I, lo- I literally lost everything in houses, motorcycles, cars, lost everything. Uh, I remember the moment. I don't remember what year it was. Uh, I can probably look back and figure it out. But the exact moment, just like the very, the, that exact moment when I smoked my first joint, I can tell you the guy's name, uh, which is a weird story. Like fast forward years, years, years later, I'm at doing security at the hospital uh, as a security supervisor. And one of our main things is suicide watch when people are on like 72 hour holds and stuff like that. Or uh, if they're just like violent to themselves or they could be uh, either suicidal ideations or homicidal ideations, they're either harm themselves or hurt someone else, we had to watch. Well, he had, this one individual happened to jump off the Warren Avenue Bridge. Survived. And they pulled him out at Evergreen Park and brought him to the hospital. Guess who this guy was? And guess who had to watch him to make sure he didn't harm himself? His name's Danny, I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that I got my very first joint from. And here I am, a believer, and here's this guy trying to commit suicide jumped off the bridge, but it didn't work. And he realized as soon as he jumped off the bridge that that wasn't the answer. And he was able to swim ashore. Luckily, the tide was so strong, it pushed him ashore. Uh, If it was going the other way towards Silverdale, if the tide was coming in, he would have died. But it was going out, and it was pushing him right, and it literally pushed him right to the park. But it was one decision. We're, we're one decision away from either making the stupidest decision in our world and changing our world or one decision to make it right. And that's what I want to kind of get at is, I mean, I mean, I know someone's going to listen to this and they can relate to what you went through and hopefully they can relate to what I went through. I mean, we both have, they're different but similar stories. Drugs were a major part of our lives. Drugs filled we thought we're trying to fill that void that everyone who walks on the earth has. They just don't know what it is that needs to be filled. We have that gift. We have what they're looking for. So I'm hoping that that, that it helps someone to hear it and say, yeah, I can relate to that. And it's all, it's, it's just the grace of God. I mean, that's the only reason why we can breathe again. That's the only reason every, every, every morning you wake up. It's, it's by the grace of God that we take our breath. And we're not looking for that next step. Uh, so is your daughter, is she a believer? Uh, she's not. Uh, well, that's definitely what we pray. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. She's, um, she gets prayed for daily by yeah. name. <laughs> exactly. Um, Very specific. And, and I and I ask specifically that the, the Holy Spirit would reveal Himself yeah. to to her the same way He did with me, but not to wait so long. Not so but long. I know God's timing is perfect. Yeah, exactly. But I don't. Uh, so much could happen. Um, We're living know. some crazy times right now, so you never know. Yeah, and so I I I do I pray earnestly for her salvation, and um, she's. Uh, before she was a, a hard atheist, mm-hmm. well, so I raised her in the church, okay. um, and then 
11, 12, the same kind of time when I started kind of, you know, looking for drugs and she started pulling away. Um, her mother is, uh, you know, in and out of her life. Um, okay. It's not the same girl who died in the car accident. Yeah. Um, but her mother is in and out of prison and still she, you know, it used to be just her story was very similar to mine, except she did not experience the grace of God. Yeah. And um, so she's in and out of prison and she's, you know, she gets, she, she, she'll go to drug court. She'll do good for a while and get a job and, uh, and relapse. And, um, and so she's been in and out of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, So where before she was an atheist, now she's open to maybe there is something greater out there. Just she doesn't believe that it's, you know, yeah. out of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, but where before in her teenage and early 20s, she, her mind was closed to there being any form of God. Uh, okay. And now it's, it's softened enough or, or open enough to maybe there is a a universal spirit or okay so some kind of a intelligence a greater intelligence out there some type of uh something behind you know uh you know what goes around comes around you know like a karma type of a thing okay and if for um and so to me it's not much it's not what i'd like uh, but at least she's op- more open to it, and, oh, yeah. and I believe that that's a, a result of my prayers, you Absolutely. know, slowly working. Um, God, you know, knows, you know, my heart, and he knows her her history, and knows exactly what she needs, and how she, how she will respond when he does, you know, yeah. reveal, and yeah, and it's, sometimes it's not us. That's the thing is I can pray the words that come out of our mouth. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, what's that one? Uh, Jackie Chan, uh, Rush Hour. Like Jackie Chan, I don't know, you know Jackie Chan. I remember Rush Hour, okay. yeah. All right. Chris, uh, Chris Rock? No, no, Chris, Chris Rock. It's, uh, okay, we, we know who we're talking yeah, about and, here. And one of the famous sayings that I love what Jackie Chan says and as he's speaking to him, he looks right at me and goes, are you understanding the words that are coming, coming out, out of my mouth? <laughs> and that's, uh, that is, and I'm not making fun of Asian people. I'm not, I'm really not. I love, I mean, I'm not making fun You're of Asian quoting the movie. I'm quoting the movie. Yeah. And that's the thing is that right there is when we're trying to uh, witness or speak to our family members, it's like, are you not understanding? I mean, you look at everything, like, I, like we spoke about earlier, learn from my mistakes. I've went there. I've done this been there i got the t-shirt i mean i, I lived this i got the scars yeah, I got the scars. Yeah. yeah why are we why are we doing this uh and it's the same thing with with my family members there's uh my family members that are into the homosexual lifestyle and that transgender agenda and stuff and god loves everybody and but we're and I'm, I'm realizing that uh, just like the prophets, I'm not a prophet in my own land. So if I, I pray that somebody else will come into their life, cross their path, because it's not going to be me. 
It's already been proven. It's not going to be me. I can live my life the way I want. Be an example. That's it. You That's, can be an example. Yeah. But if I'm laying down, I'll lay out the, the 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 gospel message and go from the evidence of the beginning of the universe and lay out all this evidence that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. There's no way that it's the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. And if it was true back then, it's true right now. You can go through all this evidence, and it's just they're not going to listen to you because you're you're not a prophet in your own land. So that's my prayer is that there's someone that's going to cross their path. Yes. That's going to be that voice that I can't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we'll definitely lift your lift your daughter up uh, in prayer, and we don't even have to spend the. Or just if you guys are listening to us right now. Uh, just pray for Christopher's daughter. God knows who it is. No name. Thank you. God's God will listen. Uh, and that's the same thing. Same thing with my family members. My oldest brother, uh, we have the different dads. But I never, I mean, I, I say that just as a technicality. I have never looked at my brother as like a uh, half-brother or step-brother. Never in my life would have ever thought that. Uh, he's, he's my brother, and I love him. He lives a, a gay lifestyle, and, and it, it scares me. He's one that, I mean, he saw my brother Mark's life being a believer, and but he didn't listen because I made him. No, he didn't. The choice. I mean, let's look at it. I mean, we can go into all crazy evidence, but we're not going to. But... Same thing. We can just pray that, you know what, God had grace on us. And for whatever, it's like you said, it's in his perfect timing, not mine. Even though I wanted it years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure he wanted me to turn around years ago. Uh, but it took certain things. He, he got rid of my, my house. I had a 3,000 square foot house. Love. It was downtown St. George, Utah. And huge house. Beautiful home. Uh, had a good job, had motorcycles, had this monster, suburban. I mean, we just we had all the material things, uh, but I didn't have Christ. Even though I said I, I proclaimed him, it's that one song that's that's popular on the radio right now, going through the motions. That's all I was doing, going through the motions. And when I had a back injury and. Everything got taken out from underneath me. I lost everything. Bankruptcy. Uh, literally lost everything. And I realized right then that, you know what? <clears throat> um, uh, Joe Godwin uh, is the guy. He was a, the worship leader for Calvary Chapel, St. George, Utah. And at the time, we were going to that church. But I was just going through the motions. I saw it. Uh, still drinking. Didn't do it. I quit doing quit smoking pot in 98. I think it was yeah, 1998. Uh, it was a couple years after my brother passed away. My brother passed away June 26, 96. So it, it took a couple of years. But we'll talk about it. I had some crazy experiences following dreams and God speaking to me after my brother died. <laughs> and he was he died of leukemia. He was terminal. They said he, they intubated him and they weren't going to live. And then within that week, I said crazy things happen to me. You're talking about coincidences. There are some things that there's no way you can 
you can there's no way it away. there's no way right exactly right. there's no yeah. way there, i mean look, i'm getting chills just thinking mm -hmm. about it the things that happened uh and it culminated when he died my hand was on his leg and when i'm watching it when they pulled they didn't pull the whole thing out they just disconnected the engine for the uh the respirator the tube they unplugged it and i sat there and I watched it, and he lasted less than a half hour, and then he went flatlined. And I'm holding on to his leg, and it was just burning up on fire because of the chemo and radiation, and the cancer just metastasized and went through his entire body. And the second one, it went, something happened that literally knocked me backwards, and it knocked me into this chair. And I don't tell very many people this. And I'm sitting there, and it felt like uh, a force of some sort. Mm. Some people can explain it away and say, well, it was just to be caught up in emotions and stuff like that. It's like, eh, maybe. But I felt something like literally push it. If that chair wouldn't have been there, I probably would have landed on the, the hard hospital floor, smacked my head or whatever. So I landed in this chair. I believe it was the Holy Spirit leaving his body mm. at that moment. Uh, so I had that crazy thing. I've had all these crazy things. Like you call them coincidences. I had a lot of these crazy coincidences that you just can't. You can't explain them away. But you can't explain them in a naturalistic way. So yeah, I've had a lot of different things. So God spoke to me in different ways. And realized that, you know what? I'm the God of the universe. I'm not a universal God. I'm a very exclusive God. And... And when I finally realized that that day with Joe Godwin uh, explaining it to me, my life turned around. That moment, my life turned around. And that's what I pray. I pray for your daughter. I pray for my family and my family members. That God has that one moment that reveals himself to them. Because God will explain, like with the Muslims right now, God's witnessing to the Muslims in dreams and visions. Jesus is coming to these guys in dreams and visions saying, I am Forget Muhammad, basically. I don't know what they're saying, but forget Muhammad. I am Jesus. I am the Son of God. And droves of Muslims are coming to faith because of dreams and visions. So I know it's possible, absolutely possible. Uh, and I said, my brother died in order to save me. Because it was through his death that I started really searching and things started happening in my life that set things in motion for me to uh, come to Christ. So I pray. Significant event. Yeah, yeah, that was huge. I mean, Joe Godwin, that was after my brother died, and, and I realized that was years after my brother died, like 2002, yeah, right around the same time. I think about it, because I moved to Utah in uh, 98 is when I moved to Utah. Yeah, so that was the last time I, I, I drank. Uh, no, I take that back. I drank one more time after that when my dad passed away in 2000. Uh, 2011? Yeah, December 1st, 2011 is my dad passed. I drank that. I, December 2nd, I drank uh, celebrating my dad. It was stupid. One beer turned into $175 worth of beers. And that <laughs> was, yeah, that was actually the last time I drank. Yeah, they say one is too many and a thousand is never enough. Yeah, exactly. But no, I, we pray that uh, you know that Lord that that someone will come across these uh, or family members and anyone who's listening that 
uh, God's out there. And all you've got to do is forget about this, all this apologetics and looking for evidence and all for right now. Just realize that there is a God, that we're not them, we're not God, and that there's a God that loves us. With all the baggage that we have, which we've got train loads of baggage that come, up, come with us that we can just drop at our feet and say, this, it's not me anymore. Uh, we, we came into the world screaming naked. That's how we're going to go out. So we need to take everything that we have and drop it at his feet. And drop it at the feet of Jesus and just say, I'm sorry. And, and change us from the inside out. Give us a new, uh, a, a new beginning, a clean slate. And that's the thing is once we do that, He's not going to remember any of our sins as far as the east is from the west. They don't say north and south. They say east and west. There is no, because they will never meet. Uh, but yeah, we just pray for our families. Yeah. That, that through this, that uh, even if one person changes their life and, and gets out of that, because it's bonded, when you're doing that drug, that is Satan's way of holding on to people. And don't tell me that Satan didn't have anything to do with putting the alcohol and the drugs and stuff like that in our uh, on this in this world. Because while you're doing that, even though things happen, it takes our focus. It, it takes our mind, and in such a way that we we can't. We it's just you know what I'm trying to say. It's just when we're in that lifestyle. Like hardcore into that lifestyle, we're not thinking about anything else other than trying to fix us. So self-absorbed, so selfish. Yes. Just yeah, that pattern of getting, using, finding ways and means to get more takes over relationships. Ghost. I could say I love my daughter, but there was no action. There was nothing. <laughs> Faith without works is it, dead. dead. Amen. It's like putting a screen door on a submarine. It's useless. Yeah. So. All right, well, it's getting a little bit late. Uh, I'd love to do this again, pick up again, talk about something different, uh, continue on, uh, maybe from, from the point that you got saved, uh, to where you are today, some of the different things that, uh, so where do you work right now, real uh, quick? Housing authority. Okay, yeah. so you're helping. Right, I went from homeless to, ho- to work for the housing authority. Helping people yeah. not be homeless. Yeah. What amazing full circle. Yeah. It is. Let's close in prayer. Yeah. Uh, Lord, obviously we, we want to lift up our families. We lift up Christopher's daughter right now. Uh, and just we just pray that someone, uh, we don't know who you do, uh, we just pray that someone comes across and crosses her path and who's a believer and we'll just share, even if it's just planting a seed uh, that shares your love that you have for all of us. And, but be very specific, that shares the love that you have for her, that it can be very uh, just to the point that it's not a universal love, but it's a very individualized love that we have for her, that she has, or that he has for her. So we lift up my family too that in this crazy world that we live, there is truth, and we can know truth, and we know where the truth comes from. Jesus, you are truth, and you are righteousness, you are love, you are mercy, and 
none of this is possible without you. Uh, and we just ask that, that anyone who's listening right now that can uh, just, just ask. Ask and you'll receive. Knock and the door will be open. Uh, seek him with all your heart. Uh, like Blaise Pascal, just that challenge that uh, don't put all your bag, your eggs in one basket. Yeah, we, we, we look at the basket we do is Jesus. And we just ask that you, Lord, will reveal yourself to us as believers to strengthen our faith and give us courage to share our faith. But to our family members and our friends, and whoever is listening by chance who has not made that commitment that I just ask the Lord that you just show yourself to them that they can turn their life around. I want to thank uh, Christopher tonight to, for sharing his truth, sharing his life uh, with us. And that, Lord, I just ask that through this, that it might touch somebody that who's, who's dealing with drugs, who is in this, this uh, perpetual circle of alcoholism and drug addiction that it could touch their lives to expose the true light and the true filler of the void that we have in our life. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for this time and we ask this in your son's holy and precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.